Bible memory verse for today and for this week comes out of Deuteronomy 32.4, and uh, it has to do with uh, God's justice. And we're working through these with uh, God's plan for salvation in the message. Let's say it together. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Deuteronomy 32.4. And so we'll work on that one this week. All right, I believe that is all I need to share at this time. If our ushers would come, we will receive our tithes and offering. While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. Oh, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord, Christ the Lord is risen today, Alleluia. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia. Raise your joys and triumphs high, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. 
And if you're able, stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1 through 11. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them. And bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the many mercies and blessings you show us each day. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in your house today. We pray your blessing upon the word of God as Pastor Miller brings it. Pray you'll speak to each of our hearts and encourage us to serve you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Be seated. Behold, thy king cometh. That was a great title. That's what they were talking about here. Uh, this has been called the triumphal entry by many. Uh, and it's recorded in all four Gospels. Not all of the things that are recorded are recorded in all four Gospels, but this is one of them. Uh, I understand that when the Roman generals would go out and have great victories, they would have what they would call a type of a triumphal entry. They would come back. If they had killed 5,000 or more of the enemy, uh, they would be paraded through the city streets in a golden chariot and honored by the king or by the emperor or whatever of Rome, and, and he would be honored and, and decorated for all of his work. They would have their lengthy military parade and somewhere towards the tail end they would be parading in all of the captives that they had captured but the tragedy of this one is they would then take them to the Colosseum and they would be entertained by watching the prisoners fight the wild beasts unto death and so that was the idea of a grand entry in, in the Romans' mind. Now, that wasn't what Christ had in mind when he came in. This was a grand entry. It was an entry of presenting Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel and the Savior. This is one major prophetic event in the life of Christ. This, this is not just another day in the life of Christ. It was a specific day prophesied. There was about 333 prophecies in the Old Testament about his conception, his birth, his life, 
his death, his burial, and resurrection. And this is one of those 333 that was fulfilled uh, meticulously and to the word of the Old Testament prophecies. He not only rode on the foal of a donkey, but he did so on the correct day. This Now, I grew up ranching. And I know what it means to get on a colt that nobody's been on. I've been on a couple of them. Normally, well, I've never seen one that'll just let you ride it through town without causing a distraction or a disruption. So just riding a colt is a miracle in and of itself. But riding the colt, the the donkey colt, was not just enough. It had to be at the right time, and it was on the right day at the right time. And as we look on into next week with the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, do understand that Daniel prophesied from the edict that went out in the Old Testament era for Jerusalem to be rebuilt until this time right here we're talking about He gave the exact number of years and to the day and to the week this prophecy was fulfilled. And that's the marvel of all of this. This is why we get excited when we get to preach about Jesus Christ. We're not just preaching and telling you about a religion or a religious man. We're preaching and teaching about a risen Savior. And Hebrews 11 says that he has given us evidences for our faith. And I know I've said this many times, and before I quit preaching in my lifetime, I'll say it many more times. Hebrews 11 says that he has given us evidences for our faith. We do not believe in Jesus Christ with a blind faith. We believe it because of what the Word of God says, and we believe it because he has given us evidences that the Word of God is true. And these are part of the evidences that he has given. Now, this is interesting. And talking about how God providentially works in all the little details. According to Matthew 26, the Jewish leadership planned to kill him in their own time, and that was going to be after the Passover. And they were going to wait till after the Passover and, and, and all of the visiting Jews had pilgrimed in for that, had been gone and they could do it without their presence or whatever. But it is interesting how the, the Lord Almighty intervened and he was crucified prior to that time or in God's time and God's way. And I might say crucified, from a human perspective, we would say he was executed. But from a divine perspective, he laid his life down. Jesus Christ said, no man taketh it away from me. He could have called legions of angels to deliver him. He could have just spoke the word. And as he did it, even at one time where they just all fell back, he could have just spoke the word and stopped what they were doing. But because it was by uh, God's design and their plan before the foundations of, of the ages that he would lay his life down to pay our sin penalty. 
And so when we talk about his crucifixion, we talk about Jesus Christ laying his life down. And here we have him. Uh, the, God's in charge of everything. Some have said that Jesus was not really God the Son, but a Jewish man that knew the Old Testament incredibly well so that he could take these prophesied events and put it in, say, a perspective of time and try to live through that. That seems a little bit stretched. But do you know, on some level, I think we would have to agree that could be possible. I said on some level. Not in the full extent. Uh, Here's some examples. He would have had to have been an Old Testament scholar to know what and when to do each of them and and exactly how they were to happen. Now, it is possible. uh, Some of you know I have known some, some men that are incredible scholars of the Old Testament. Ask them any question, they could give you an answer. Almost any question. I mean, they had studied, they knew it, and uh, they, they, they really knew how the Old Testament fit together and how it fit with the New Testament. So, to some extent, that may be uh, a viable argument. He could be charismatic enough to deceive the twelve that he claimed as disciples that later became their apostles, but not only the twelve, but uh, a number of people that followed him. Now, I think we have to understand that as a possibility. You look at some of the cult leaders. I mean, they're liars. (laughs) They're first-class liars. They're deceivers. They've been deceived themselves. They deceive others. But isn't it amazing how large of a gathering, how large of a following, not only during their lifetime, but after they die, they have their following that goes above and beyond where they were? One of them that stands out, they not only follow him, some of them will follow him to the death. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember, it it was uh, Jim Jones and and, uh, the the Kool-Aid and how they all drank the Kool-Aid and died rather than giving up. They followed their leader. You see, cultic leaders can be that charismatic in doing that. As a scholar, he could impress the crowds with his knowledge and maybe even do it with a compassionate ability. Another thing, he could be batty enough, and I put it that way, to ask Judas Iscariot to betray him and hope to die on the cross and on the right day and even connive soldiers to gamble for his garments. I think we could say any of these things might be possible, but I think it would be pretty tough to get it all to work that way. But let me tell you what's not possible. And why I believe he is Jesus Christ. And, and he did not have to, to use charisma to, to deceive people or lies to deceive people. Why he did not have to connive or, or pay somebody to do anything. But that he really is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. You see, no mere man could be conceived of a virgin of the house of David whose stepfather was also of the house of David. Now, this would have been an impossibility. He was born of a virgin so that he was not of the seed of his father or of the blood of his, or of his stepfather. And his father, Joseph, was of the, the lineage of, of the royalty. 
In other words, of all of the kings that came out of David down to the last one, and the last one, and I'm, I can't remember his name. Can, can somebody help me with that last king's name? And uh, the prophet came in and said, nobody of your line will ever sit on the throne. Do you remember who the last king was? Jehoiakim, is that right? You'll have to check the Bible to make sure. But he said, nobody of your line, can bloodline, can ever sit on the throne. Joseph was on his lineage. But you see, Jesus Christ was not of the blood of Joseph. Mary was out of David's family, but out of a different son of David and brought it all the way down in the lineage to where... Mary was a great, 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 I don't know how many greats you'd have to put in there, granddaughter of David. So that when Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, had the blood right through his mother and the legal right to the crown through his father. How do you manufacture that? Now here's something else. No mere man could confound the scholars at the temple at the age of 12. He might impress them. I've seen some smart 12-year-olds. I was probably a smart aleck 12-year-old. I would have not have confounded any scholars. But no 12-year-old would be able to confound the scholars like Jesus Christ did. No mere man, it had to be God the Son that could do the miracles that he did, feed the thousands, heal the blind, the lame, and the lepers. No mere man could do that. No man could walk on water and command the wind and the sea to obey his voice. Now, when the wind was blowing on Friday, I would have liked to have said stop, but it wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> but Jesus Christ could. No mere man could do that. No mere man could raise the dead who is on way to his burial site. Let alone Lazarus, who had been four days dead, and his body had already begun to stink in the tomb. There was hundreds of witnesses to these facts. No mere man could ensure that he would die on the cross on the specified date without a broken bone. And for the sky to turn dark, midnight dark in the middle of the day. And especially no mere man could have raised from the tomb three days and three nights later. So when we come to this, and it closes this statement out, who is this that has come in in a grand entry? It is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the one who later that week laid his life down to pay my sin penalty and your sin penalty, as well as to deliver us from the bondage of sin. It was on this day at this event that Jesus Christ presented himself to Israel as their Messiah. 
Daniel chapter 9 talks about how he would be presented and cut off. He presented himself as their Messiah. Now here's something that is, that is just incredibly wonderful about our God and who he is. Our God is a holy God. He is a just God. He will punish sin justly and with holiness. But he is also a God of great grace and compassion. No human being can put these two in such a compatibility as our God has done. We need to replicate that as much as possible that is within us. But no human could ever do how God has done with these two things. Now, while the shouts of the crowd sounded like they would accept him, it was the leadership that had to do the acceptance and acknowledge him as the Messiah but they did not do that. You see, in John 1.11, we read, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. In John chapter 7, verses 47 through 48, Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on Him? The leadership of the Jewish people refused to accept Jesus Christ as the anointed Messiah. And in, in John seven forty seven and 48, in the context of that, uh, one of the, I think it was Nicodemus that said, uh, shouldn't we think about this? Are you sure you're right? And they responded with this. And the, the emphasis as, don't even bother to look. And if you look, don't come up with any other conclusion because we won't agree with you. That they're not going to believe. They're not going to accept him. But in all of this... We have a testimony of divine opportunity. You see, the omniscience of God knew they would reject him. You'll find that. uh, Beginning of John, it states that. You'll find it prophesied. And that's why he was crucified. But out of the omniscience of God, he knew they would reject. But because of the character of God, which includes his compassion, long-suffering, and grace, God gives him the opportunity to do right. Ezekiel chapter 33 tells us a little bit about the character and the nature of God. In chapter 33, verse 11 of Ezekiel, we read, Say unto them, As I liveth, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? We understand that God, even though he knows what man is going to do, he gives them the opportunity to choose right and then be accountable and responsible for their choices. That is the goodness of our God. Nobody can say, well, God never gave me a chance. Well, if I had my own druthers, if I could have my own chance, when they stand before God at the final judgment... They're not going to be able to say that God never wanted them to have a chance. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come to faith. And he wants every man, woman, and child to have an opportunity. That's why missions is such a big and important part of the local church. With that, that's why we want to get the gospel message out. Because our God has not changed. He is still not willing that any should perish. Even though he knows those that will reject him, 
He wants them to have the opportunity to receive him. The great commission of each local church is to send the gospel message from home to around the world. We have a growing mission field just right around us in our communities with people moving in and and as a culture that has moved away from God that need to hear the gospel message, the biblical truth that Jesus saves. And that is our desire at Foothills Baptist Church. And before I move to the next point, I want to challenge each one that is either here this morning or watching this on, uh, on one of our broadcast uh, uh, venues or listening. If you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite, we encourage, we plead that you would repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is important. Now I want to go to the next step of, of one of the great challenges in reading about Palm Sunday and the grand entry of Jesus Christ. And I think that question would be this. Why did the leadership of Israel reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah? The, the people here, it seems as though they're, they're excited about Jesus Christ. But they really didn't call him at the end. They're not saying he is God the Son, he is the Messiah. They simply referred to him as Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. But the leadership, the Pharisees, the, the lawyers, the scribes, the scholars of the word of God, they should have known even at the birth of Jesus Christ, the Magi from the East that had studied the scriptures and followed the star, they knew this was a special birth and a prophesied birth. Why was it that those that should have known still rejected Jesus Christ? And this is a sad commentary. I believe they had personally become spiritually blind and developed an environment of spiritual blindness among the people at large. Not exhaustive, not every individual. But by and large, they had created an environment of spiritual blindness. Do you realize people can can be very religious? They can even be a part of Christendom at large. And really be spiritually blind to biblical truth. And this is a great tragedy that was taking place. I believe we have seven symptoms of spiritual blindness that we can understand as to why they rejected Jesus Christ. Let me go through those. And before I do, do understand, as believers and as a local church, we're to be the light of the world. But when Christians have gone down the road of spiritual blindness and darkness, and that's the only light a community has, how dark is that community? How hopeless is that community without the light of biblical truth. Probably the pinnacle of spiritual blindness is not necessarily found in the heathen or the pagan religions. 
but more so in the ones who falsely claim to be the followers of God. They're followers in name, but not in truth. There is no blindness like this kind of spiritual blindness. Symptom number one of spiritual blindness that I would identify is when the leadership has robbed the people of the truth and substituted it for vain janglings. In Luke chapter eleven fifty two, let me turn to that and read that. Luke chapter eleven in verse fifty two. The word of God says, Woe unto you lawyers. He's talking to the leadership of Israel. Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, talking with the Old Testament time frame, says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In Second Timothy chapter 4, and beginning with verse 2, in that chapter it says, Preach the word in season, out of season. It says, because there's going to come a time where they, they're, they're, they won't want to hear the truth. But they'll be chasing everywhere and in every place with itchy ears listening to all kinds of religious stuff. The leadership had robbed the people of the truth and substituted it for vain janglings. I believe it is the pulpits and the colleges that have robbed our generation of the truth. They have tried to uh, become the scholars that think they know better than the Bible. And they, they've sent men out into the pulpits that are not committed to preaching biblical truth, but promoting the latest trends and having pep rallies and just promoting religion. For the longest time, I, I simply have never understood this. Why would anybody want to be a preacher and not preach the truth? I'm, I mean, come on. What's that all about? If you can't believe the truth and live the truth and, pre and preach the truth, why don't you go get a real job? Why don't you be for real? Because you're not there. But you'll find that there is a history of people that like to be religious and they like to be a religious leader even though they don't really want the truth. Through all of this, they have substituted human wisdom, mysticism, and beyond. So symptom number one Spiritual blindness robs the people of biblical truth. Symptom number two, the leadership was not interested in the truth, but put self-interest ahead of it. Turn to John chapter 11. Here's another one. John chapter 11 and verse 47 and 48. They were more concerned about their position than they were about biblical truth. John 11, and beginning with verse 47, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? 
For this man, they're talking about Jesus Christ. They would not even call him by name here. For this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. You see, they're they're not only interested in rejecting him themselves, but they wanted to keep others from believing on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place, whether it be their residence, their, their position of prominence, influence, financial income, all of that, and nation. You see, spiritual blindness, symptom number two, is when the spiritual leadership is more interested in self-preservation than proclaiming biblical truth. You'll find that the apostles, uh, they were consumed and dedicated to preaching the truth regardless of what it meant for them. They were willing to sacrifice their life. They were willing to sacrifice their possessions. They were willing to, to sacrifice their home to preach the gospel truth. The next symptom, the leadership had turned the ministry of the temple into a money-making market. You'll find that in, in Matthew 21, back in, in our passage, that just after uh, verse 11, which we read this morning in, in the uh, entry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes to the temple, and you'll find that he drives the money changers out. They had really turned the temple into a money-making industry. Some of it may have started out innocent and well-intent. Maybe. <laughs> you see, for, for the sacrifices, people were traveling miles and miles and miles. They had to come to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. So instead of them having to bring their, their bullock or their ram, or, or their goat, or whatever it is, to be able to offer it on the sacrifice and risk on that long journey that it may stub and, and break its leg, twist its ankle, gash itself, become ill. Now you can't offer it because it's a blemished sacrifice. And so what they did is they, they had herds in the area to raise sacrificial animals. Presumably they were to be without blemish, and people could come and buy these animals and then offer them uh, as sacrifices. Now, that sounds convenient. Be careful about convenience. We can be more committed to a convenience than to the truth. Well, then they had another problem that they needed to solve. The temple would only accept a certain type of currency. And these people traveled in from a variety of countries and from a variety of places with different currency. And so when they came, they couldn't use their currency to buy the Hebrew sacrifice animal. They had to have the right currency. So now you have your money changers. You can do this at the bank. You can find it in international airports. And what they they still do. They charge an exorbitant fee simply for exchanging money. They were doing the same thing. 
They had him over a barrel. They had come and they traveled and they would charge an exorbitant fee to exchange their currency for the right currency. And they would charge a a gouging price for the sacrifice animals. And all of this was about making money. You've heard of the marketed church. We got a problem with that today out and around. Our church is a ministry, not a market. I don't have time to go on down that road as to what's happening in a lot of the mega church movement today and even in some of the smaller churches as well. But it's when they turn the ministry into money making endeavors. The next symptom. There is a religious activity to somehow appease the conscience. In order to keep their following, they have to have some type of religious activity. They still have to have that semblance of it. They still had to have their sacrifices, even if they were in an unbiblical way. They still said their prayers, even though it was for pretense and show Jesus Christ um, exposed the the Pharisees. They said, you want to stand in in these uh, visible places and high places, and you want people to watch you as you preach loud and long and long and long and long. Sometimes we can get it said quickly. But but it was all about a show, trying to show how spiritual they are and how long they can pray. And so there was this big show of pretense. They still had their codes of behavior. But all was done merely as a ritual and a show. There's a symptom of spiritual darkness. That's as opposed to having a real personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me mention next Sunday morning on Resurrection Sunday, every guest family that comes to our church next Sunday will receive a copy of Dr. Coomer's book, How to Have a Real Relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we believe is important. The next symptom people were able to get excited about a Jesus after their own imagination. You know, people do get excited about Jesus. But the way way they want to see Jesus. Not the way Jesus is as he's revealed in the Bible. You see, they were thrilled about a Jesus in a parade. Ah, let's have a parade. This is always, parades can be exciting and a lot of fun. I grew up in central Nebraska, and uh, we always had our horse riding groups that would come in and uh, ride in the Nebraska Land Days Parade. At one time, I understood that that parade in central Nebraska probably had the most horses in it of any parade in the nation. I don't know if that's fact or not. I had just heard that. But I was able to, granddad and several of us, we would all ride in that parade and then go ride in the grand entry at the rodeo and everything. Parades are exciting and fun. They wanted the thrill about Jesus in a parade. They wanted a Jesus who would give them free food. At the, I believe it's at the end of gospel, uh, John 6. He says, you only followed me because I fed you. Now you want me to feed you again. 
You didn't follow after me because of biblical truth. You see, people want a Jesus that's going to fix all of their problems. He didn't promise to fix all of our problems. They wanted him to heal all their maladies. They wanted a Jesus who would overthrow the Roman government. I'm sure there's people in America that wish wish Jesus would come and take over our government and change it. He's not going to do that in this terms or the way you want. You see, they were excited about a Jesus after their own imagination the way they wanted him to be, not as the Bible had revealed him. The last symptom, the longer they walked in darkness, the blinder they would come. And that's probably not proper English, probably should be more blind they would become. John chapter 12, verse 35 through 36, describes how how people continue in darkness. It just keeps getting darker and darker. I believe one of the greatest lessons that we can learn from the record of the grand entry of Jesus Christ, not only is it how he fulfilled every prophecy, but also the great dangers and the symptoms of spiritual darkness. All of these symptoms prevail in Christendom today. I believe that is our greater plague in our country, and it is growing darker by the hour. You see, this is my concern of the hour, is that spiritual darkness corrupts the gospel message and abandons biblical truth. A corrupted message leaves people without the truth about Jesus Christ. It leaves the people without the truth about salvation. It leaves the people without the truth about righteousness. It leaves the people without the opportunity of eternal hope. Real joy and peace within, like God intended for us. Such spiritual darkness always produces a corrupted church and a corrupted Christianity. And a corrupted Christianity has always paved the way for an absolutely evil culture. You go back to what led up to the Dark Ages. You go to... All of history. Now, I realize what we learn from history, we don't learn from history. But we could learn from history, those that are willing. That spiritual darkness paves the way for that. We need to examine ourselves, search the scriptures, and sometimes throw away all of the books that we read that try to interpret the Bible and just read the Bible. (laughs) I had to do that on a doctrinal matter or two early in my ministry had somebody feeding me this book and that book and trying to uh, lead me down a certain trail it was Calvinism and it was just one book after another book and uh, I really struggled with it because there were things in there that just didn't match the word of God and finally I came to the point I threw all of the books away and I said I'm just going to read the Bible and stick with the truth And I discovered why I didn't believe that. You see, if you do not love the truth, then you will not seek for the truth. If you do not seek for the truth, you will not find the truth. If you do not find the truth, you will not know the truth. And if you do not know the truth, then you might live your life with a lie. And then when you die, then what? 
You see, we must be committed about the truth. We must be committed to be that spiritual light that God has intended us. The spiritual light reveals Jesus Christ in truth. It reveals the gospel in truth. The fruit of the gospel will will see people saved. It will produce a people that love righteousness and hate evil. It will enable us to be delivered from the bondage of sin in this life. Again, it will give us a peace and a joy that passes all understanding that no man, regardless of what they do, can take away from us. It elevates righteousness in a community and it is against evil in a community. We have a hope that only the light of the gospel can give. And we don't want it tainted by spiritual blindness. We, we want to give them what God's given us. And so even in the grand entry, prophetically, it fulfilled a day. And it fulfilled prophecy. But also it is exposed to us the dangers of spiritual blindness and why we must be committed to biblical truth and biblical righteousness. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, use this message to enlighten the understanding of many. And Father, even more importantly, use this message to draw men, women, and children, wherever it is heard, to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Use this message to help them understand there is a real hope, an eternal hope that they can have. And help them to understand that they can have a peace and a joy that this world cannot take away. And Father, let us be faithful to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are...
Hi folks, I'm James Morgan, a realtor with Grisham & Associates, LLC. I know it must seem like there's a million realtors out there making all kinds of promises. Want to hear my big marketing promise? I promise honest and fair dealings with all those I do business with. That may sound old-fashioned, and it is not very catchy, but it is true. I am your Colorado real estate specialist. Farmland, mountain cabins, or urban dwellings. When you work with my team, we'll get the right property for you and be upfront and honest with you every step of the way. Over the years, my clients have told me just that fact alone separates us from others in the industry. If you are considering buying or selling real estate, 
Call me, James Morgan, at 720-203-0731 or visit my website at coloradoproperties.online. No catchy slogan, just a client-first, honest real estate experience. Hit it, girls. Keep listening to the American Freedom Network. Insurance. Nobody likes buying it, but everyone needs it. The problem with insurance is if you don't need it, the money is simply gone. Car insurance costs hundreds of dollars a month, and if you don't get into an accident, which most people don't, the money is simply gone. Health insurance costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month, and unless you have a significant health issue, the money is simply gone month after month, year after year. When it comes to life insurance, all companies provide low-cost term insurance for people that acts just like car and health insurance. If you don't need it, the money is gone. At Northwestern Mutual, one of the reasons why we are ranked as the best insurance company in the United States is we offer a variety of low-cost blended plans that actually allow you to build wealth in the most likely event that you do not need to collect on your life insurance. Finally, an insurance plan that doesn't take your money and can actually build your wealth. To find out more, call me, Joey Jaquin, at 602-909-9048. Again, that's 602-909-9048. Hey, guys, Tommy with Revo Knives. Wanted to let you know that we're bringing our knives laser engraved here for 1360 KHNC. You can pick them up at 2 South Parish Avenue here in Johnstown at their radio station. They're laser engraved with their logo. We're really proud to partner with them and have our Revo knives on display, all for you guys to carry with your EDC rotation. Certainly can't underestimate the quality or the value you get for the money. Stop by and see them today or pick one up at RevoKnives.com. Power surges and lightning bolts can cause damage to your electronic devices. A EMP attack can fry everything, leaving everyone looking like the Flintstones. But don't let that happen. Go to EMPShield.com and enter KHNC in the promo code box. EMP Shield can keep you secure and running when no one else can. American-made electronic protection. Again, put KHNC in the promo box. EMPShield.com. Tune in Saturday mornings from 11 to noon right here on the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC 1360, for the Gardening with Joy and Holly radio show. Topic focus, guests from across the country, and answering your garden questions. That's Saturdays, 11 to noon. Catch the replay Sundays, 4 to 5 p.m. Hello, this is George Sawtooth, and I'm inviting you to listen to my show, The George Sawtooth Hour, on Saturdays from 3 to 4 p.m., where we will explore wacky subjects together. See you then. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley.